did you find this? All right, so let's talk some prospects real quick. Now, I didn't get time to, to talk wide receivers, so I'm going to be absorbing from you guys and then using that to help form my takes on these guys. I think we should probably start with the running backs. Do we want to do you want to do Corum first, and then we'll do Dylan Johnson? Yeah, let's get uh, this done. <laughs> All right, I I am not on this guy's hype train. Yeah, he had 27 touchdowns last year, um, 1,245 yards. Um, betting on him during the season was awesome because it was like betting on McCaffrey two and three touchdown bets. He was just constantly getting touchdowns. I think that was more of a product of that system. I don't like how small he is. 5'8". He's big for 5'8". He's 215 pounds for 5'8". That's pretty big. He's a fat boy. But but <clears throat> I don't think... I think he's too small. And he's he's going to be more of a gadget guy like A-Chain and be your second, third down back instead of your first, Dude. second bell cow. Um, down. The only downside I see of that is he doesn't have the speed to be that kind of game breaker, right? Where right. Like you you right. can be like a small because that was actually my second my second note on the Ohio State game is I looked at him and I said he feels undersized. And then I looked at his stats, I was like, oh, he's got fine BMI, he's got fine build, he just looks smaller. It's really weird. Yeah, I, and this yeah, like you said, the speed's not there either. I, I'm I'm not I'm gonna be weary with with drafting him in uh, rookie dynasty this year. I mean, his his price right now is like a mid-second as of right now. He'll obviously fall and go, right? Like, say he lands in the third round of the Chargers, which is, like, basically going to happen. Um, I think he'll rise, but I I don't see him as a game-breaker. I mean, definitely the, the natty, he looked, like, electric. Like, that was the best I've ever right. seen him. He looked like he was finally healthy. His quick cuts were good. His vision was great. But I also was like, mm, is this because he's going against a bad D-line? Um but yeah, he he does fall forward, which I think is great. But I don't think he's he's not a dude who's going to bust out a forty yard run. Because if you look at his stats, I think his longest on average is like a fifty five consistently over the, his last couple seasons. Um, so he doesn't have on a long his, speed. He good. He's got a four point eight average uh, altogether though on the season, which is not too bad. It's not over five, but yeah, I think I don't think he's bad. I just think this class is not great so like if he's like an upper echelon guy in the class i think he's fine but like i don't want to pay more than a very 204 at the earliest as of right now tony he might be the first back off the board and i think that's because teams look at this guy and they're like look we can give this guy 20 touches a game if we have to uh he's not a game breaker He's not the same type of player, but I can see him having the same type of role as like Damian Pierce's rookie year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's his jump cut is real nice. Yes, extremely nice. His his cutback, his vision, he can see the second lane. A lot of his runs that were were longer all looked the same, right? You've got a giant hole that he goes through, a hole that like all three of us could walk arm in arm through, <laughs> but then. But then he sees the secondary lane and makes the cutback. And so he doesn't win with speed because he's not fast. But he wins by being, by being creative. And like you said, Shane, yeah. I actually have written down, I said he's great at falling forward consistently. 
If you need three yards, he will give you three yards. I don't. He doesn't break tackles, but he very rarely is brought down by just one guy. Correct. I feel like that's very. That's what I saw as well. I don't think he's ever going to be a third down back because he can't block. But I did notice if you watched any of his games from twenty one and twenty twenty two, he he caught a good amount of passes. They were throwing screen passes to him. Like yeah, his production got like halved in twenty three. Yeah. Well, I think all they did were they're like, you're just going to do this one thing. So, you're going to win us the natty. So fuck right. it. Why do more than you have to? So Ryan, I think we're, we're going to see way more explosive backs in this class as we go through the list. But Correct. I think, I think Corum has a lot of value for teams because they're like, well, this dude can, can tote the rock 15 times and get us, you know, 58 yards and do well in the red zone. And and right. teams they want a guy that's going to eat up carries. Tyler Algier has been playing. This will be his third season. And if you that's look cool. at like the way the NFL market is too, like what's a team going to do? Give Saquon or Austin Eckler twelve million dollars, or just draft this dude in the third round? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Fuck it, right? And then that's going to bring his value up because like if you like say just for the Chargers for example, it's because I keep harping on it because he's a Harbaugh guy. Like who is in that running back room? They're not going to pay Eckler. Like he's gonna be the lead back. They're not gonna give the ball to Isaiah Spiller or Josh Kelly for the main priority, right? Those are NPCs. Yeah. Um, so I, there's there's ceiling probabilities, and especially depending on situation. But like, I, I don't think he has the. He, he feels like a flex potentially RB two ceiling to me, just based on volume. He is a guy that's gonna get you fifteen carries. Like he said fifteen carries, fifty eight yards, maybe a touchdown. Like he's yeah. not gonna get the long runs. He can, but I just don't think at the next level he's going to be beat one guy on the edge and just take it 50 yards. My player comp for Blake Corum was Gus Edwards. I saw that. Huh? I said CEH year two. Okay, sure. All right, so let's stay with the running backs. Let's do Dylan Johnson from Washington, also Mississippi State. Bit of a bit of a quicker guy here. Uh, Ryan, what do you got? Want to start us off? Um, I mean, I don't have too much on him. He looked all right in the, some of the highlights I was watching. He looks like he gets a lot of yards after like the first hit. He did pretty well. 1,200 yards, 16 touchdowns last year. Yeah. Also with that Washington offense that was putting up a lot of points, that probably helped a lot too. There's a fast, real fast-paced offense. Oh, yeah. Um, he, had some, he had some good film. I honestly don't know where he would be going in – redraft i have no idea um, this this is kind I, of way like we cooked ourselves because i have no frame of reference for other right. people i'm like oh you could be marvin harrison or i'm like dude i have second to third to fourth i got no idea well yeah, one wow. of the things that i noticed when i was watching was like you ryan you mentioned the washington offense let's just say we could something that we can all agree upon. He's way more explosive than Blake Corum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's an unfair comparison in the context of like, cause I have like not explosive, like four times in my notes, like he correct you. He is more explosive than Blake Corum, but like in regards to like playing speed, I'm just like, you're going to get run down. So, so something that I noticed though because we watched, you know, we had these two guys pegged as our scouting guys for this week. Just the notice that how Blake Corum would run against nine-man boxes and Dylan Johnson would run against seven-man boxes or six-man boxes. Like, and then fumbled the ball three times. 
Yeah, and everyone was selling out to stop Polk, McMillan, Odunze, and Penix. So Dylan Johnson was getting a ton of open lanes. So what I said for Dylan Johnson was, like, he is an NFL player. Like, he'll play at the next level, for sure. But I think he's going to be a rotational piece on a zone offense, and he'll get a handful of change of pace carries and some light passing work. Um, I said his fantasy utility is probably non-existent unless there's an injury or whatever, but I think he's a good player that, like I said, deserves a spot on a 53-man roster. My player comparison for Dylan Johnson was Samaj P. Ryan. You're going to hate me. My comp for him oh. was was Roshan Johnson. I didn't. You know what? I That crossed my mind, but I didn't see the power. Oh, yeah, he's smaller. He's just just like what you described, right? Of like rotational back piece, a couple passes once in a while. That 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 was kind of like, ah, that's a guy who I liked on tape, but like fantasy production wise, like that's kind of what I expect from someone like this. Yeah. He'll he'll be fine. It's whatever. I, I he did not jump out at me. I don't have a frame of reference. I do not know this running back class at all. So I have like I think we were spoiled last year, right? With like watching Bijan and Gibbs and even dudes we liked like Charbs or Chase Brown, whatever, right. like Waleed like, where I'm like, oh shit, I can see something right there where like these guys, I'm just like, meh. He, he had a lot of really good blocks. Like, he had lots of runs where, yeah. like, he's 20 yards down the field before he's touched for the first time. Except for the Arizona game, because he got murked in that game. <laughs> yeah, he got rocked. Um, also, yeah, Dylan Johnson had that injury, so we'll see if that hurts his testing. I could, Like I said, my, my shit's been kind of a wreck right now, so I was hoping you guys could kind of talk me through uh, Troy Franklin. Yeah, Ryan, what do you think about uh, Troy oh. Franklin? He's a big guy. He's like 6'4". Yeah, I did like uh, his presence on the field. It just felt natural. And he's got some good hands. What else was I going to say? Oh, yeah, he had like a... His ever his average uh, target was 17.1 yards, um, which yes. is really good. They yes. used him um, kind of... I don't say all over the field, but they definitely used him properly. Like, he would do go routes, he would right. do hitches, he would do... Uh, crosses he would do a, the occasional bubble screen but he he was spread out throughout the he's gonna probably do well pretty early on in his career i think in the nfl i i kind of am comping him a little bit to like chris olave maybe not interesting maybe not that maybe not that good but uh he looks really good and his presence like i said his presence on the field he just looks natural like he's born to catch the football um He's got a very good uh, ability to control his speed. I don't think he's like game breaking off the line. Um, I, we can talk about. I mean, uh, did you watch Cade Stover, Tony? Or I no? did. I did. Did unfortunately. you? I I tried to not watch Marv, but Marv has extremely explosive at the you line. You can't scrimmage. not. You can't not. Yeah, where I don't think Troy Franklin has that explosiveness, but his long stride ability lets him get to gear two very fast. So his acceleration is very good, and he has the ability to gear down really quickly, which I think okay. is very, uh, very good to have as a skill set as a wide receiver. Absolutely, um, super smil- su- smooth over the middle. Um, he didn't have like the best contact balance, but when you're like six four, two hundred pounds, it's kind of hard to have that kind of thing when you're getting blasted by DBs. Uh, I put great tracking ability. He doesn't have a a gigantic catch radius, but it did kind of improve as the season went along. Um, 
it felt like the games that I watched, he got better and better, even though they were like randomized between the seasons. So tremendous target. Um, hyper, he was hyper targeted. He's got a limited yak ability. Um, I said, we'll be talking in a year about how Troy Franklin is the reason that Bo Nix got higher than a third round draft capital pick. Sure. And my comp to him was George Pickens, but faster and not circus catching. Oh, okay. Um, I'm looking at, I just pulled up the, um, like mock draft database, not, Mm -hmm. not dynasty mock draft, but like NFL mock draft. And they're saying early second is about where he's projected to go. That sounds right. I mean, like I hate to do like KC and Buffalo need a wide receiver, but like he'd be a great fit in those offenses. So do you think, is he a first round rookie pick if he goes in the second or the late first to Buffalo? Or do you think he creeps up into the first? I think he's already established within that weird bucket of post 106 of like, what the hell are we doing here? Because everybody I've talked to, it's like four guys in that rotational period where it's just going to be pick your poison. But he's definitely going to be a top top 12 pick in Dynasty. Unless like some wild shit happens with Superflex. Okay. Okay, cool. So then uh, I refused. I abstained from watching Lad McConkey because it's Black History Month, but <laughs> you, you guys did. I mean, there's not too much, I mean, in my opinion, to talk about with this guy. He was, you know, uh, Georgia, like his, they were like his gadget guy. Uh, and he's, he's not big, six foot, less than 200 pounds, which I don't like, which won't translate well to the NFL. And he's and because of that fact, he's just freaking hurt all the time. Like there's he's always got something nagging and he's going to be out for a few games. Um, And his numbers, his numbers indicate that. Um, I have a question since I didn't I haven't watched him. Is he that type of dude that like gets hurt? He plays every game, but he gets hurt in every game. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like he's kind of like that. Yeah, in the twenty three season, yeah. So at the end of the twenty two season, I think he sprained his ankle like before the the championship, and then he played in the championship, and then in twenty three he like fucked up his back, so he was gone for like six games. Okay, but I also think Georgia just ran everybody through the the grinder because it happened to Brock Bowers too. Okay. Yeah, that's true too. Well, yeah, Brock Bowers had that uh, weird thing happen towards the end of the season, but he came back for the the final game. I don't want to say he's bad, right? Like, I think he's going to be very situational because the more data I dug into, like, I shared this with Tony, the more screenplays that people run in college because uh, Lad McConkie is the de facto bubble screen guy in college football. Like, if you watch Zay Flowers this year, you could be like, oh, shit, that's what Todd Bonkin wanted to do because that's he ran ran every single Zay Flowers route. Um, but he has great yak ability. Like he's not a dude who's going to like go up and get the ball because in 22 he had really bad vision and concentration issues. So he had a lot of drops, a lot of fumbles. Um, but he did get better at that in, in regards to 23. Uh, he's very good with understanding how the zone works. Um, he's just got a very good um, run after catch ability, in my opinion. So it's going to be scheme dependent. Um, I know I've seen him in the early second as of right now because teams are hyping him up because I think, again, it's recency bias of people believing that any dude who can run that kind of route as well as being white is Puka Nakua, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> so okay. so it's, this, it's this weird jumbling up of players where 
if they don't put, I mean, we see in the NFL, bubble screens don't work, right? You get like maybe one or two a season that's successful, but other than that, it's like, cool, enjoy your three yards. It's or, it's a run play. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't hate him. I don't think he's amazing. I gave him um, a 79, which I think is like on average with what I gave like the second round guys last year, like Marvin Mims and such. So Sure. I just, I, if he, if he's bad and we can call him bad McConkey, that's like way cooler. <laughs> not, not lad McConkey. Uh, bad McConkey. <laughs> bad McConkey. I love that. That's going to never leave my brain. Um, okay. I, so I put, him as, I put him as John Mechie. Okay. Well, screen, screen pass guy, bubble man. He's a lot more sneaky fast than John Mechie. <laughs> that's true. He's a lunchbox guy. He does have good burst speed, though. I'm not even, like, joking here. Like, he does have good burst ability, so. Okay. We'll see. Um, all right, so we're going to end on a tight end. We're going to talk Cade Stover. We save the best for last. So I was listening to the Football Absurdity podcast, and they ran through their preseason prediction sheet that we all filled out, and they proclaimed that Ryan's pick, his flag plant of Sam Laporta at tight end in August of last year was the hit of all hits. So as we approach this tight end discourse, Ryan, I want you to tell us what you thought about Kate Stover. All right. Well, I don't think he's going to be um, the Sam Laporta. Uh, that we all saw. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's good. He's, he's going to go somewhere and have a, immediate impact on the team i think but more in a utility role he's he's decent at blocking so they're gonna get him in on plays and try and maybe do something with him my my player comp uh to him uh right now like the best i could think of would be like anthony ferkser Uh, noted fan, noted fantasy asset, Anthony Ferkser. That's right. Like Ferkser's that guy. He's just that utility player. He's on the field all the time, um, mainly in a blocking role. And then they'll, you know, roll out some red zone plays to him, uh, and he'll get some random touchdowns here and there. But I don't think he's ever going to go to a team and be an integral part of their offense. Correct. Um, he'll just be another decent tight end in the NFL, maybe occasionally show some flashes on some interesting plays, but I think he's going to be more utilized for his run blocking ability. And I mean, uh, the tape he's got is good too. Um, He played for Ohio state. So there's a lot of good, good schemes on that. And and another problem too, with that is, uh, you know, they had Marvin Harrison, so he wasn't really utilized where a lot of these, uh, like like Brock Bowers is utilized or these big name guys. Um, oh yeah, Lad McConkey was a, another draft prospect who has benefited of Brock Bowers because Brock, Brock Bowers can block like a motherfucker. Yes. Right. I'm excited for him because, you know, he's a tight end that's going to be drafted in this draft and I look forward to <laughs> watching. I look forward to watching some of his career, uh, you know, uh, but I don't... It, nothing's like says to me, you know, the next Gronk or the next, you know, whatever. He's he's going to be a good utility player. I, I think that's that's where he ends up. I think okay. my favorite part about Cade Stover, every time I watched him and I knew he was going to block, is because he put his hand on the the 
the offensive lineman's butt. And then I was like, oh, it's a run play. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. He's got to tell. I'd watch him block. And so I, I called in the big dogs. I called in my co-teacher, Chris, who is an offensive line coach. And I'm like, I've watched football my whole life. I need you to tell me because I'm so undecided here. Can he block? Because there's times where I'm like, damn, he drove that dude fucking four yards back. And then there's other times where I'm like, why wouldn't you block that guy? I feel like that was a reason why he switched to tight end is because he can't take contact well at an even momentum. He has to have positive momentum. Yeah, Ryan, did you know that? He was, uh, he was an edge rusher uh, when he was recruited and he got moved to tight end. Another great reason I call it Anthony Ferkser comparison. <laughs> so there were a couple times that he would make blocks that I'm like, it looks like he made the wrong read. And my guy, Chris was like, I don't know what his assignment was. If his assignment was to kick back and seal on that run, then he made the right block. Otherwise, yeah, he's just, there were a few plays though, that we didn't even watch any of his routes. Within like 45 seconds, my guy was like, this guy sucks. Turn it off. <laughs> and I was like, I'm glad you saw what I saw. He has some of the worst route running I've ever seen. He doesn't cut. He just runs. There's no cut. There's no attempt to, it's to it's juke. Like a, right. It's like instead of like a cut. Yeah. It's more like a half moon move where it's like. Yeah. He's making a new route. Okay. Yeah, his right. his hitch route is really like a crescent roll. He goes five yeah. yards and takes a fucking big loop like, around. Yeah, but I think they call it the on the field they call it the Pillsbury. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why he's a screen guy, right? Because every time he was successful, he was just running straight and just barreling over dudes. Yeah, but you you ask him to go forty five, you're like, all right, I'm good. Um, I had him. My player comp for Cade Stover was Tommy Tremble. Like if he goes to uh, the Rams, they're giving him a fucking like a a, a jet sweep. Oh sure, um, but I I don't see him as a starting tight end at any point in his career. I don't know if you guys ever see him being a starter because I certainly just I just don't see it. I didn't give him a score or of comp, so sure. Like I I think the only situation where he is a starter is where he ends up. Like another, like I'm saying, Anthony Ferkser role where ipso facto their main guy goes out and all of a sudden he's the starting tight end, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, and they can't do anything really in the middle of the season to, you know, trade or get someone in there to, and he's just ipso facto, I'm going to get now five targets a week, you know? Right, right. I, I just, I, can we just say before this divisiveness continues, I just want to say, I really do genuinely appreciate how much Ryan loves football because he will be like, I see this guy and I'm excited to watch him play NFL snaps. Mm-hmm. That's all that, that's all that yeah. matters. And I, and I respect the hell out of that. And, and Shane, you're like, I'm not giving him a rating or a player comp, like an old, like a Victorian mother. Who's like, I'm not naming these kids cause they keep dying before they're two. <laughs> He's going in the attic. I'm never going to look at him again. <laughs> all right. All right, so we'll come back at you with five more next week. We're getting close to combine time. Dude, next week. I know. I know. It's going to be insane. It really crept up. So this might be the last episode we do where Justin Fields is on the Bears. So keep it in the Discord. Shut up. So so I'm, <laughs> so let's leave this world behind and let's take a trip, Ryan, with our tour guide 
Ryan, Rick Steves, Edgecombe. Where are we going this week? We're going across the pond again. All right, we're going back. To, we're going back to the EU. Okay. All right. So this week, in honor of Seabass, we are going to Warsaw, Poland. All right. Oh shit! A place that has the second, or sorry, I, that that's not correct. I wanted to say Chicago has the Chicago area has more people of Polish descent than this the capital of Poland has. Just a, just a quick stat. They're all on like the west side of Chicago. All right, so Warsaw, the political center of the country of Poland, produces about fifteen percent of the national income and GDP for Poland. It is the seventh largest capital city in the European Union. Okay, was founded in the twelve hundreds in the thirteenth century. Has a long feudal history. Um, you don't hear a lot about um, the monarchies of like uh, what was going on in that that area at the time as much as you hear about all the kings of France and England and stuff. But they have the same stuff going on. Big feudal society uh, up until the 1800s when you know the Industrial Revolution started and Warsaw became one of the richest cities in Europe because of this. Sure. They have over 70 museums, uh, which I thought was interesting. I've never heard of a city that has that many museums. Um, a lot of them have to do with World War II. This city is known as the Phoenix City because 85 to 90% of this city was completely destroyed by Nazi Germany. Uh, culture. I mean, like they they were burning history books, paintings, so much stuff. They just and the structure of the city was was done. So it's it's known as the Phoenix City for its ability to rise from the ashes because the city of Warsaw is very beautiful from the uh, pictures that I've seen. They rebuilt that city um, throughout the latter half of the 1940s and into the 1950s into what it is now. Um, There's still um, like a few, like castles and stuff on the outset on the outsets of the uh, city, and actually, one of the biggest castles in the all of the European Union uh, is in Poland. They have um, one of the biggest, or sorry, not biggest, uh, oldest salt mines in the world, um, dating back to the 13th century. Okay. Um, and still used today. It's actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Did you guys know that vodka was invented in Poland and not in Russia? Obviously, it spread over there. I had a hunch, but, but I didn't know. Yeah. Wow. The Polish is the place that where vodka came from. They have... Um, oh, yeah. They have the oldest restaurant. That's right. The oldest restaurant in, in Europe uh, dates back to 1275. Um. Yeah, and Just you can Mc still the very first McDonald's Smash Burgers. Yeah, it's <laughs> the original Smash Burgers. <laughs> like I said, this 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 town was horrifically destroyed. Actually, uh, and a lot of it, um, well, a lot of people got hurt as well. Um, you know, about half a million, almost a half a million people were exterminated between 1939 and 1945, mostly of Jewish descent and a lot of the people from this region were taken to the camps uh, like Auschwitz 
So it's really bad, really bad time, really bad time for the Polish people during World War II. One of uh, my favorite composers is from uh, this city, uh, Frederick Chopin, and virtuoso pianist uh, who writes. He wrote so many interesting piano concertos. There's and and they're all like in minor keys too, so they're all super good. Um, another romantic, one of my favorite romantic composers. In fact, the city of Warsaw every five years has a international piano competition where people uh, get together for a series of days and judge um, each other playing his different versions of his piano concertos, uh, whether it's in E minor or D minor. I thought that was pretty cool. So every five years, it's just a celebration of Chopin and his music. Damn. Let's see. It's located on the Vistula River which was is the lifeline to the city and its commerce and shipping and trade all the way throughout the medieval period. They actually have the Polish Stock Exchange, which was uh, started in 1870, 1817 and continued uh, up until World War II. Obviously, uh, it had closed down uh, during the time because of communists and reopened in 1991 after the fall of the communist control. A lot of a lot of plate in this in this country and in this city. Let's yeah. talk about some people that are from the city. Some really interesting people. Most are from the city. Um, some are you know f- from Poland. We've got a basketball player Margot Didek. Yes, um, seven foot two inches, the tallest female player to ever play in the WNBA. That is, she was the fucking Dikembe Mutombo of the WNBA. <laughs> she was like the block queen, man. Yeah. Yep. We've got Iga Swiatak, the second youngest player to ever win the French Open. Damn. Okay. Yep. Uh, Andre Sipkowski. He's the author of The Witcher and now is like that Netflix series. I don't know just, if you guys ever watched that or read those books. Just play the game. Just play three. All you gotta do. <laughs> Rosa Luxembourg. A yeah. Yeah. A Polish Marxist and socialist revolutionary. Fuck um, yeah. unfortunately, unfortunately, she was assassinated uh, during the German Revolution, but she was uh, known for going around the countryside and around local areas and spreading her beliefs of Marx- Marxism and socialist beliefs. Um, she she is one of the most elite uh, leftist thinkers in world history, like by far. She her writing sure. is excellent. Who else we got? Let's see. Joseph Conrad. Uh, novels like Lord Jim, Heart of Darkness, Secret Agent. He wrote a lot of anti-heroic characters and uh, a lot of his narrative style influenced Salvin Rushdie, F. Scott Fitzgerald, T.S. Eliot, famous Polish uh, novelist. Do you guys ever read any, any uh, Conrad? Yep, Heart of Darkness. No. I did Heart of Darkness and I did Lord Jim. Same fucking book. Oh, 100%. I was just like, yo, oh, really? dude, get a new thing. Listen, I mean, it's great, great shit. It made Apocalypse Now, so it's good enough in the annals of history. I agree. Uh, let's see. We've got some Holocaust, um, yeah. I don't know, survivors. we got famous people from there. We've got uh, Władysław Spillman, uh, Polish and Jewish pianist, um, made popular in the 1930s uh, when her and her sister, uh, because of their Jewish descent, were taken uh, you know, to the Nazi 
uh, prison camps, her and her sister played the piano um, so well that uh, the Germans let them live, and most likely for their enjoyment, so they'd have good music to listen to. But um, they survived because of their ability to play the piano so well. Yeah, well, I mean, the Warsaw, like the ghetto uprisings, Poland had like the most badass anti-Nazi resistance system oh, yeah. it in was, Europe. It was the it was the biggest one. And this next guy, uh, we told Pilecki, prisoner number four eight five nine at Auschwitz, he voluntarily got himself arrested so he could start the anti-Nazi resistance from within the camp. Fuck yeah! And he set up what was known as Zao was the name of the movement. Um, and he was eventually able to escape after being, after voluntarily getting in there, but he was ultimately executed by the communists for, uh, starting this revolt, but he, he helped the cause. Fuck. Yeah. Let's see. Ooh, Arthur Rubenstein, who is a uh, world renowned pianist, um, and is one of the most famous interpreters of Chopin's music who has a uh, piano playing career spanning eight decades. Okay. Dang. That's crazy. Okay. Oh, another uh, basketball player, Tony Marcin Gortat. Oh God, that guy sucked. We've got Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit. Can you guess what he invented? Fahrenheit four fifty one. And isn't it crazy that the Fahrenheit scale system uh, and the thermometer were developed in Europe, but we're the only ones in the U.S. that use the Fahrenheit scale? Ooh, we did it right. Uh, Pavel Makawoda. The basis for the band, the Scorpions. Fuck yeah. Wins a, wins a change from Poland. And Rocky Like a Hurricane. Yep. Yep. Hell yeah. Here's an interesting guy. Uh, Andrei Tchaikovsky. Not not the Tchaikovsky from Russia. We all know like that wrote the Nutcracker and stuff. But a different Tchaikovsky. He wrote music for Shakespeare like sonnets. And was so famous at doing this and uh, presenting music for these plays. His dying wish was that his skull be used as a prop. And it is still used to this day in the Royal Shakespeare Theater in England. Hell yeah. Sick. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Mary, uh, some more uh, World War II stuff. Uh, Marion Rajewski. Uh, he was the... One of the guys, him and his colleagues, developed the ways to break the codes for the Enigma machine. Cool. For you remember the what were the Germans were using to send their coded messages? Yeah. So the they developed they developed they developed the technology and the way to figure that out. Robert Lewandowski, if you know soccer, he's like one of the most famous soccer players in Europe right now. He's the captain of the Polish national team when they do the World Cup. Uh, he plays for uh, the German Bundesliga League for Bayern Munich. Uh, he's from Poland. Uh, Tony probably, uh, Marie Curie, Marie Curie, sorry. Yeah. Um, Radium. Yeah, the first woman to win a Nobel Prize. And not only is she the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, but she's also the sole person to ever win two Nobel Prizes in two different categories. Nobel's Prize. Uh, yep. She, yeah, and like Tony said, she um, discovered radium and polonium on the um, the table of elements. <laughs> Guess how she died? <laughs> yeah. car, car crash. <laughs> Her research was in uh, radioactivity. Oh, my God. Uh, another, uh, Arena Sindler uh, was another Polish nurse and, like, 
uh, resistance for the nurse and someone who helped the resistance for the uh, Polish underground Nazi uprising in the World War II. Ooh, this one's not a good one. Roman Polanski. Next. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> Natalia Karp uh, was among was around during the Har- Holocaust, and this was the uh, sister of that lady who I said got like she, she was able to live because of her piano playing uh, with her sister. Sure. Uwakla here, Kaitalika, the lead guitarist Tony for the death metal band Decapitated. Also, the lead singer from Behemoth is from Poland too. Where I Ergal. fucking nerds. <laughs> Pope John Paul II was born in Poland. Oh, also Suzanne Wojcicki. She was the CEO of YouTube uh, from 2014 until last year. Okay. Uh, she's born in Poland. I got two quick ones. What you got? I got L.L. Zamenhof, who's the guy that invented Esperanto. You guys remember Esperanto? Yeah, yeah. It was the, they, they tried to do a universal language. Oh, uh, there's a movie that's in Esperanto starring William Shatner. Man, I really, really miss like I hate to say globalism. Right? It's a hot button word, but I really like miss times of hey, you know what? We should all work together to be better, so we can all communicate and help each other. Yes, and then uh, I have a Chicago legend, Casimir Pulaski. Oh yeah, I've, I, yeah, that's right. Casimir Pulaski, uh, Shane is a Revolutionary War. Uh, commander yeah. who was like a big deal and Chicago public schools every year get Casimir Pulaski we, day off. That's As I said, we have a, a huge Polish population. Uh, so yeah, Casimir Pulaski is a huge day out here. Oh, I forgot. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Tony, in your uh, readings and research, Raphael Lemkin. Uh, without this Polish lawyer and peace researcher, um, he was the first guy to coin the term genocide, and it's credit. He is credited with initiating the Genocide Convention, an international treaty criminalizing genocide. Um, no such international law existed before this. His work inspired American sociologist and feminist scholar Desiree Bernard to write the book American Community Behavior based on Lemkin's work. Uh, so without that guy, genocide might not be criminalized. Yeah, and they definitely are holding people accountable for the genocides they do. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, got some twi- I got some sister cities. Oh, yeah. What do we got? I got Berlin, Germany, which is a total cuck move. Like, they fucked you, man. You should not be their sister city after that. Not to mention they border Germany. Isn't it, like, not even a two-hour drive probably to get there? Dude, it only takes 45 minutes to drive through all of Europe. That's true. Um, Chicago. Yeah, that makes sense. Surprising nobody. Hanoi, Vietnam. Oh, really? Kiev, Ukraine. Okay. Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Seoul, South right. Korea, and Taipei, Taiwan. Really? Pretty cool. Hell yeah. So that's uh, Warsaw, Poland. Birthplace of Sebastian Janikowski. And that is one hell of an episode, you guys. We okay, we and... definitely we marathoned the shit out of this one. This was a great episode, though. We got, got a lot of stuff in. We talked some Dynasty buys and sells. We went over five prospects. 
Uh, we did some bits. We took a trip. And we look forward to doing the same with you guys next week. Combine's approaching. Uh, we never stop because we're degenerates. And then we'll see you next week. Good night. Good night, everyone. Derek Carr.